and uh, welcome back to another Raw Sport program. I am your head of sport, Josh Sim, and um, yeah, we're kicking off Raw Sport interviews. And as you can see, we've got um, Jordan. Um, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing his last name right, Masio, uh coming on. I know <laughs> he'll correct me if I if I got it wrong there. Um, but uh, yeah, this is a we did obviously last year we did some interviews Raw Sport uh, with. Uh, Fair few number of uh, journalists. Uh, we were lucky to have obviously Nate Ferguson from formerly of West Brom, now Crystal Palace, uh, on as well. And so, yeah, this is, I thought it'd be, again, a fun opportunity for you guys to ask any questions about uh, football, the world of football journalism, or um, and uh, as well as talking to Jordan, who covers Bayern Munich and uh, RB Salzburg for UEFA. Well, maybe not RB Salzburg this year for UEFA.com, but uh, certainly Bayern Munich and um, as well. Um, so yeah, if you're new to uh, our stuff, uh, in the video description should be all our socials and uh, where you can find all our content. Um, and um, yeah, I hope you guys enjoy this. So without further ado, I'll bring on Jordan. Right now, Jordan, um, it's great. I guess you and I, we talked a bit on, on Twitter and stuff, so it's great to kind of meet face-to-face. -face. Yeah, as, uh, hi, Josh. Um, yeah, face-to-face -face in 2020 is basically on a, on a live stream, on a Zoom call. This is as close as we're going to get. Um, the pronunciation was fine, by the way. Uh, you got that oh, one. I'm so glad. <laughs> That's like interview 101. <laughs> um, so I guess, you know, if people and we you know we put it in our description but if people don't know obviously you are a graduate of warwick university like and that is and obviously all of the rest of us are pretty much are studying there at the moment whether it's our first second or third year so um do you have any fond memories of uh of being at warwick is there anything that kind oh, of sticks out yeah. as something memorable yeah um, i mean I, I so i graduated in 2014 um i did a four-year course with a year in germany in the middle um, university was a great time. I know it sounds cliche, but it really is probably the best time of your life. Um, you, you get your freedom from your parents for the first time, you move away. Um, I really enjoyed living on the campus. That was something that I was quite keen on when I was looking at university. And the, if I was to say the thing I miss most about being at Warwick is how much football I played. I, I think every day I was down at the target pitches playing 11 a side or five a side. Uh, in between lectures and that's that level of freedom and activity is not something you're able to sustain when you move into the working life I'm afraid um, but you know obviously freshers was a great good fun um, there's lots to do um, my course was really enjoyable I studied German and English literature and yeah it was just a really good time in my life and opened up a lot of doors for me not just in with work but just in general you meet a lot of people contacts and it was a, a good experience to leave home and 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 then go to germany and here i am now 10 years later um, doing what was for a long time my dream job and now it's now it's a job <laughs> yeah yeah, what um do you remember what accommodation you were in first year on um, I was I was Westwood. Ah, cool. I was on the edge of campus, um right yeah. on, on the outskirts. But as I said, that was perfect for me because I was spending most of the time on the football pitch. Um, mm. and fortunately it wasn't so far if you wanted to get into into town um or in, onto the, 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 the campus. And in final year actually, because a lot of language students they 
prefer to stay in halls on the when they come back rather than have the hassle of sorting out accommodation. I was in Tossil. Uh, I don't yeah. know if that's still standing. I think they were talking yeah. about knocking it down. No, this is definitely still there. Yeah. Oh, it's still there. Okay. Well, good good times there as well, and it was nice to be right in the heart of heart of the campus, and I could wake up and be in in a in a lecture within ten minutes, which was great. <laughs> Yeah, I was in um, Arthur Vic during my first year, so I also had that luxury of, you know, if you slept in a little bit, you could still probably scramble and make it in time. So, um, exactly. yeah, I, I I totally enjoy that kind of privilege as well. Um, I guess because, obviously, this is, we're in week two of the uni term, so obviously people, so there's some people out there, freshers, who have just started their uni experience. Do you um, have any advice for them in terms of, like, because obviously, you know, listening to you just now, it seems like you really enjoyed your university experience. So do you have any advice on um, how to make, I guess, most of university? I would say make the most of everything that's on offer. Um, try new sports. Uh, I know I said I spoke, I played a lot of football. Um, I tried other things. I tried rock climbing and I tried lacrosse. I was hopeless at it, but I, you know, I went along and, and, and tried it out. Um, go to the societies. Um, find a new interest or work on the things that you already enjoy um it, it, you really are quite blessed uh, i don't know what i can't speak for other universities but i found at warwick there was so much an offer for so many different um people and it was great to be thrust into that in the first couple of weeks and, and just try you know that it's great to go to the fairs and, and see what's out there and it might spark an interest that you weren't aware of um growing up and it, it could change your life um, in that. Sorry, I'll just turn that off because that's going to be annoying. No worries. Uh, yeah, so just be open to trying new things, especially in first year where academically you're not really tested to, to, to the limit. I definitely wouldn't recommend not paying attention in class because you don't want to fall behind for second year. And even though you don't really have to get a good grade, it's still good to build habits and, and learn how to learn, if you like but definitely make the most of the time you have and, and all the opportunities. And don't get too yeah. bogged down with future careers either because one thing that I, I think at Warwick I found was that there is a lot of pressure to be thinking about your next steps the moment you get in the door and you shouldn't really feel like you have to plan for the what you're going to do after Warwick on your first day. And a lot of people, I think, get caught up in that pressure and it can it can can stress you out unnecessarily yeah yeah it's um i i kind of echo those sentiments um that's some really good advice and obviously speaking as someone's in the final year obviously you know it is the whole careers thing does kind of loom over you um obviously you graduated in 2014 do you remember mm -hmm. what were the first steps you took post-graduation in terms of looking for a job and um Obviously, yeah. we'll talk about yeah. a bit what you did end up doing, but um, do you remember those first steps in terms of looking for a job? Yeah, well, I mean, I was quite lost, actually. I think a, a lot of people will be able to relate to that. I didn't have a clear plan. Um, final year is stressful enough. Just working through your exams and your, your dissertations and trying to get through and get your, get your grades. To add on the impending career on top, and the pressure of finding, you know, doing applications, going to interviews, going to career days, it was a lot of pressure. So I sort of maybe took a less conventional route and decided to not worry about that initially. Um, I'd spent my 
the summer and second year I'd spent in in China, and I'd made a contact there at a, an English school. And uh, halfway through the year, I messaged them and asked if they could maybe if they had any opportunities for me to come out after my degree. And um, my my plan was to go to China for for a couple of years and teach English, learn Chinese, use you know base myself there and travel around Asia and just sort of give myself a couple of years to decide what I wanted to do. Unfortunately, that fell through two weeks before I was meant to fly out because of visa complications. And so I was basically stuck and fell into a sales job just to, to basically get some money in and um, very quickly was then looking at uh, other opportunities. And that's what brought me to Germany um, when I stumbled across, I think it was on the UCL, uh, University of London's website. Um, they were posting for a traineeship in Munich. And uh, I'd always been interested in sports journalism. It was something I wanted to do when I was a teenager and moved away from that at university because I had some experience, work experience, and saw that it wasn't necessarily as glamorous as you think. And, you know, you can be turned off something very easily as a youngster. Um, but I saw the traineeship and thought I ticked the boxes and, and I applied and I ended up here. So I guess you could call the the initial disappointment of the China experience uh, a turn of fate that has definitely worked in my favor and so six months after graduating I came out here yeah I one thing I'm kind of struck by obviously the China um, trip didn't obviously work out and you ended up in Munich was it always a goal of yours to go overseas for work or was it that something that was that a coincidence that kind of it just came out like that? It, it was definitely something that I was open to and I wanted to do because I had such a great time in on my year abroad. I spent eleven months in Cologne teaching English and made a lot of friends there. I really sort of improved my language skills, probably not enough as I should have, but um, it it was something that really stuck with me, and I was desperate to have that experience again. Going, I really liked the challenge of throwing myself into the deep end somewhere new and. Um, back then, the sort of the early days of Brexit were starting to creep in, but there was all, there was already sort of a, I had a personal feeling that the UK wasn't really somewhere I wanted to live long term. So I was looking abroad. I was looking at Germany specifically because I had had lived there already and I knew that I could navigate my way around the system. And and yeah, it worked out. And who knows what would have happened if I didn't get this job. Um, but fortunately I did and uh, I'm very comfortable, very happy here. Yeah, and just, I mean, before we touch upon, obviously you work for MNC Sports, uh, Munich-based yeah. uh, sports agency. I, before we touch on that, I just wanted to ask, I mean, how, what is it like living in Munich? Like, would you, and in, I mean, in Germany as well, I mean, for most of us, we haven't obviously got to experience that. So what has that experience been like? And um, I'm sure it's something you would recommend to um, anyone looking to make a similar move. Um, well, I mean, the city itself is, is beautiful. It's a really nice um, old city in, in the heart of Bavaria, and you're only an hour away from the Bavarian Alps. So in the summer, it's it's really nice to go down and explore the nature, and the beer garden season is always, always fun. Uh, it's, it's a very international city because they have a lot of engineering and IT here. And it's just a, you have a very good quality of life here i feel and rent can be quite expensive but the cost of living otherwise is is quite it's quite affordable and yeah I, you know i studied german at school so uh, and university so i was always fond of 
the German way of life, the German language, and I do feel very at home here. As far as recommending it, I, w- I would always recommend trying something abroad, whether it's Germany, Spain, Italy, Asia, America. Do have a go because the UK is a very small place and a lot of people spend most of their lives in a, in a very small part of it. And I think it's one of the most enriching experiences you can have to, is to go and live in another country and, if possible, learn the language, learn about the, the, the local customs and traditions and, you know, try something different. And, and the good thing is if it doesn't work out, you've always got home. Um, you can always go back to, to the UK. It might be a bit more difficult now, unfortunately, but I, I, I don't think the door is closed completely. Yeah, yeah, and no, I, I know we have um, we have a question in the comments section. I'll get to it um, when we talk about in your career. But just a quick reminder to everyone: you can send in any questions you've got for Jordan, where it whether it's uh, life after Warwick, whether it's obviously we'll touch upon um, your jobs in in just a sec, and obviously later on we'll talk about Bayern Munich as well. If you've got any questions on them um, and wonder how did they lose the Hoffenheim four one, which is. <laughs> Uh, which stat, it's an anomaly when you look at it on paper, but um, I'm sh- there's, yeah, there's as pe- people, I guess, like you who have watched, I guess you'd have seen the high back line. We'll get, we'll touch upon that in a bit, but um, yeah. you, you, you obviously, you moved to, um, you, you, took a, you took on that job at MNC Sports, I said, um, Munich Sport, based sports agency. Um, like, I mean, you, you, you talked about how sports journalism was something that you had kind of, you flirted with the idea of maybe uh, mm-hmm. before and then, kind of didn't come back to it so what was it about this opportunity that stood out to you was it because of you know we talk about you you know you always wanted to try something in another country and obviously mm-hmm. you played football at sport at uni rather is that it was it kind of just like the perfect match in terms of ticking off all those kind of aspirations for you uh, definitely i think um, i remember looking at the job spec and and just saying to my girlfriend at the time i it, it seems too good to be true almost. Um, yeah. When I was working in sales, I, I, I really liked the company, I really liked the people, but I was very quickly realized that I wasn't using my strengths. Um, I'm, I'm an art student, so I, I like to write, I like to, to read, and, and football is sort of a huge part of my life. I play football. Yeah. Um, I, would, I ran a few teams at Warwick. I ran a lot of society teams. I, was, I ran the languages team. Um, and the, I always had this idea in the back of my head one day I want to be a sports journalist Henry Winter I grew up reading Henry Winter articles in, in mm-hmm. 442 in the Telegraph and thinking that that's me one day I want to do that so when I saw this opportunity and, I, and on top of that it was in Germany so it also I was lucky that I had the language skills and the qualifications that went with it and it, it really did tick all the boxes so I, I had a go and it was an 18-month traineeship, and I learned a lot. Uh, dabbled a little bit with commentary, like off 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 air commentary, just to practice because uh, my boss is a is a professional commentator on radio, um, but wasn't really the sort of thing that I was I was very good at or wanted to pursue. Um, we do a lot of social media, a lot of translation, and then eventually through UEFA, I got to to sort of do stuff on my own, um, not not behind the keyboard of a of a club or or association and yeah it's it's worked out it's it's something that i really enjoy and fate it works in funny ways i guess yeah and um you know i i like you i'm a big german football fan um was that 
obviously because from this in this country at least it's very Premier League heavy. Like a lot of coverage on the Premier League was. Did you know much about German football when you kind of took those first steps into that job? Was it something that um, you had a lot of knowledge of, or was it kind of something you just kind of picked up on the fly um, with the job? When when I was on my year abroad in Cologne, I um, me and a few guys we we did a lot of ground hopping. So we we spent a lot of our weekends on the year abroad going to different cities and. It was really good fun actually because you go and travel around Germany, especially in in the northwest. There's so many grounds in the Bundesliga. There's so many teams that play within a close vicinity, and so we went to all of them and we go and have have a crack, get on the beers, and actually got tickets with in the yellow wall one time um, for for a friend of mine. That was quite a crazy experience. Probably the most crazy experience I've had in a football stadium. And yeah, so the interest was there. Um, I definitely didn't come here knowing the starting 11s of all 18 teams um, sure. or even some of the, the, the histories of some of the teams and the big clubs, but you pick it up, you know, you, the, the natural interest in football is there and, and the, the base knowledge, everyone knows Bayern Munich from, you know, if you're a football fan, you know, you know about them, you know about Dortmund and Schalke and through working intensively for, from the last five years, you obviously pick up a lot more knowledge and, you know, I've not missed many buying games in, in that time so I, c I can say now I've, I've become an expert in, in in that team and you follow the others as well I don't really have a a favorite team I sympathize with Cologne because of living there but you know it's a bit of a roller coaster watching them because you never know what you're gonna get yeah my my loyalties are with uh Gladbach and Freiburg for two different reasons but uh yeah that's where my loyalties kind of lie um, it's an exciting time to be a Gladbach fan it is. has done a very good job and uh it looks like things could get better yeah and it feels like in, indeed like the kind of so-called middle tier of the Bundesliga it is an exciting time because there's so much kind of there's so many teams in a similar level kind of all with the same aspiration so <laughs> yeah for sure that's a really cool thing um we did have a we did have a question here enoch want to know i mean you listed off the oldest kind of responsibilities you have at the moment um mm -hmm. is there anything that stands out that you've worked on or maybe are working on at the moment there's i mean so while the highlight of this year was supposed to be the euros um mm -hmm. i'm touch wood um going to be covering austria at the euros next year and um, so I was this year was really gearing up to that. That was a, a lot of sort of preparation going into that because Austrian football isn't something I've followed intensively for a long time. And the last couple of years I've been covering Salzburg. Um, but that was definitely something I was looking forward to, to, to travel with the, the team and, and be part of a major tournament for the first time. I hope that that will still go ahead next summer and we can, we can have that experience still. But I would say for now, it has to be the, the big Champions League knockout games. Um, Bayern have had quite a few in the last five years. Unfortunately, I missed. I didn't go to Lisbon because of of Corona, um, so I missed Bayern's Bayern's win there. But um, you know, I've had a Champions League semi final against Real Madrid. They 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 lost that. There's the the Juventus game in 2016 where they were they went behind and they pulled it back and won four two in extra time to go through uh, Kingsley Coman. Like that, those nights. You know, buying can be criticised sometimes because the atmosphere here isn't quite as authentic, if if you like, as maybe up in Dortmund. But on those nights when you've got seventy thousand fans and Champions League knockout, some of the best players in Europe um, all playing there, it's it gives you goosebumps, and, and you really do feel that as a reporter. It's not just 
um, you know, as a fan, like when you sit there and the, the teams come out and the anthem plays and you get typing away and you, you do feel it and the, the, the drums and the fans, it's, it's a really unique experience. And fortunately, I've been able to have that uh, quite a lot in the last few years because Bayern are a pretty good team. Yeah. Um, I mean, you, you touched upon it in a bit just now, but like, um, obviously we've, you know, we've spoken to a few reporters who kind of, they didn't grow up following the team that they now cover. Like they, there was, I mean, they, it was something like they kind of, like you kind of picked up along the way and kind of, um, the interest kind of grew from there. So what was it like? Obviously we should mention you, obviously, as a wafer reporter for Bayern Munich and last year, RB Salzburg, as we said, what was it like to kind of start covering a team like Bayern, who obviously everyone has heard of, but um, in more detail than I guess you would have def- had from when you started, for sure. Yeah, sure. Um, definitely a, a steep learning curve. Um, I actually had been, you know, it's hard not to really follow Bayern if you if you if you work in the Bundesliga because they're the dominant team and yeah. they have the best players. You watch their games. Um, but definitely, I, I would have spent a lot of time early on learning more about the club, about the history. You know, the, who are the big personalities that you know you know about Uli Hoeneß and, and Beckenbauer and Rummenigge, but you don't know about them necessarily. So go and do your research. Go and find out uh, about the players. The hardest thing for me actually was preparing to face other teams. The first game I ever did was against Dinamo Zagreb, and I I think I knew one player in that team. So on top of making sure I was not embarrassing myself on the buying side also I had to at least have uh, some knowledge about Dinamo Zagreb so this this process of preparing for a game which has gotten a lot easier over the years that was definitely a, a steep learning curve but also one that you know it's pretty dynamic no one's expecting you to know everything uh, uh, on the first day and you know you pick it up over the years it's, yeah it's something I would Definitely harder if you take a smaller team like Salzburg, for example. When I started doing Salzburg, and the first game I did for them was a Europa League quarterfinal or last sixteen, I think, against Napoli. And it was the first time I'd been down to Salzburg for a game, and and hadn't really watched too much of them in the past. Just just some highlights of players, because obviously their academy is very famous of developing great players. But yeah, by that point, I'd done a lot of buying games I was experienced I knew what I was doing for the job so I knew how to prepare and how to to fast track my way if you like yeah and I mean you you, you speak about those challenges early on what does are there what challenges kind of remain now now that you've had certainly a few years under the belt is there is there anything that poses a big challenge now is it kind of as it is there is is there are, or are there challenges that now are sort of routine in terms of how you kind of get, um, come across, finish them off you know definitely uh well um the, the the one of the biggest challenges is always being punctual on the whistle you know you, sometimes you have to prepare for different uh, eventualities and it's often the case that in, if it, if it's an intense game and it's quite tight you you might find yourself not watching a lot of the game because you're trying to prepare your 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 full-time copy and you, you've got to prepare for different scenarios and sometimes that can be quite stressful if you've got goals flying in and you have to completely do a rewrite because they've got the away goal that takes them through and actually you're expecting them to go out and stuff like that uh, another thing is is 
interviews, being prepared for an interview that can happen very quickly. Um, sometimes your interview partner won't always be as cooperative or they might be stressed out because they've had to wait so long. They've already been to, they've already been to Sky and they've been to BT and the other uh, broadcasters and they, they come to you for the third or fourth and they're already wanting to leave. So it's making sure you can sort of read the mood and judge the, the personality and ask the right questions. But these are all things that you, you really do get thrown in the deep end. Never really had any proper media training, um, but you learn very quickly and you, you observe how other people definitely become a lot more analytical when you look at other people working and, and how they do it and tips and tricks and take it from there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I remember one of my first match reports for another, for another site. Um, I think Ronaldo was, he was at, he was, it was last year, he was at Juventus and he got a 97th minute penalty and it kind of, everything I'd written kind of had to be rewritten in the space of uh, 20, 10 minutes. So it was, yeah, yeah I, I definitely have experienced that kind of pain if you like. Um, so I guess, you know, when you talk, when you, I mean, obviously with working with UEFA, I mean, obviously to someone who, who doesn't, who obviously knows, the, the stature of UEFA as an institution and all that, it sounds quite, um, you know, it's, 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 it sounds exciting for sure. Is there any, for that, during your experiences working with them, has there been anything that's kind of surprised you? Has there been anything that's been kind of, that you've enjoyed in particular? What has that been like? Um, what's it been like? It's definitely, it's definitely a great job. Um, it, <laughs> It's not quite your usual, it's not what you would imagine to be like a typical newspaper journalist role. Uh, I don't really yeah. write a 500 word match, match report on the whistle that I have to send off and it gets printed. It's, it's more of a second screen experience that we try and provide because UEFA obviously as, as the, the tournament hosts want to give fans the best experience, that's their goal. And so they have a match page with all sorts of data going into it. Um, during the game there'll be live there'll be a live ticker there'll be live stats there'll be um highlights and interviews and articles that have been written before and and what we do as on the ground reporters is to try and provide the on the ground experience what's going on in munich what's going on in salzburg where are the fans right now what um what's the mood like what's the, how's hansi flick reacting to that goal what subs are warming up you know so it's it's different to what you maybe expect from a traditional reporter. And I, I, I like that because it's, I get the feeling that people maybe take more of an interest in that because it's different to your usual, maybe sure. cliche copy that, that we will have to write sometimes, you know, yeah, the, the classics. Um, so that's definitely something fun. Um, challenge might be, you know, sometimes it can be quite an intense schedule. And especially this year, we've got three weeks in a row. And if you're working Tuesday, Thursday, then you're not, you're not getting a lot of rest because it's, it tends to be quite a full on, full on day and evening, especially if there's travel involved as well. So staying, staying focused and healthy and balancing a normal life as well is, is a bit of a challenge. But at the same time, there are only so many Champions League games in a year. So you, you, you do kind of live for those match weeks and, and, accept that and, and make the most of it yeah 
Um, like, I mean, yeah, it's the, it, we will talk about the Champions League in a bit because obviously Bayern have a very interesting group, um, an interesting path towards defending uh, that title. Um, you might, I mean, you may, you might have mentioned this earlier, but I, I can't remember. But is there a memorable game that stands out um, from that you've covered in your professional career so far that stands out to you? Just I, maybe as a fan, maybe as a journalist, yeah. is there any that kind of stand out? I remember the Bayern. Real Madrid semi-final in 2018. Was it 2018? No, that was the year Liverpool knocked them out. Or was it? It might, it might be the year before. Um, might be 2017. Um, they played really well, Bayern. They, they, they went to the Bernabeu. They needed to. They think they needed to win, and they. Sven Ulreich made a mistake. He made a howler and gave away a goal, but they, they ended up going out and. I was at uh, Frühlingsfest. It's, it's, it's a spring fest. It's a beer festival in Munich. And when when it's an away game, I'm typically... Are you there? Oh, it looks like I'm on my own. There we go. Um, sorry, <laughs> my, I think my I don't know what happened. Either the internet no. or something like that. I sorry. Um, you were talk. I I I. No problem. You were talking about the uh, spring beer festival. Um, yeah. So it's 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 like Oktoberfest, but it's a lot. a sort of a light version. It's very small. There's only a couple of beer tents, and they have a pub viewing there. So. We would go to. I'd go to the public viewing, and I would be basically doing my job from there. So I had my laptop, I had my iPad, and my phone, and I was just sort of working in in those conditions. And oh, it was such a great buzz because uh, Bayern were looking like they were going to get the final, and it didn't happen. But th that game really stuck out to me because they really they really deserved it over the two legs, and you know just didn't get the, the rub of the green that time. Um, so that you know, that, and I wasn't even at the game for that one. So it's not always about being in the stadium and, and experiencing it up close. Yeah, I feel like that's certainly something most football journalists right now have certainly been experiencing um, from home. Um, I mean, we'll try. I mean, this will transition into talking about Bayern Munich um, as of now. But is there a favorite interview? You mentioned you you obviously have to interview players and staff as part of as part of the job, is there a, a, a player that you've enjoyed interviewing? Is there an interview that you remember fondly? Um, yeah. Um, I, I tell you, one guy who comes across really nice was um, Alfonso Davies. Uh, obviously, yeah. last year was a, a big year for him um, in terms of his sort of breakthrough season in his career. And he's got quite a uh, a fun personality if, if you've seen his TikToks and his his social media like he's he's a really fun guy and he's just strikes me as a very down-to-earth uh, player someone who's got his head on his shoulders and is really riding the wave and enjoying himself so uh, 
Unfortunately, I've not had a chance to speak to Thomas Miller. Um, I, I would really like to, to interview him at some point because he's one of my favourite footballers and, and he's just such a unique player and character that I think it would be really fun to, 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 to chat to him at some point. And he'd definitely keep you on your toes. That he would. Yeah, he, I've seen his press conferences. He's quite playful character, isn't he? So, exactly. yeah. He, he, knows that, he knows the ropes. He knows that it's you know, the media's job to, to, to speak to him and maybe get some something out of him. And, you know, these guys do have to do a lot of interviews. They have a lot of commitments. Yeah. So um, he at least makes them more interesting. Yeah, I, I totally I totally get that from watching what he's done. Um, I guess transitioning into talking about Bayern Munich now. Um, obviously, it was one of the longest Champions League seasons we've seen in a while. Did you, I mean, I know you covered them pretty much from game one till obviously you weren't able to go to Lisbon, but you covered them obviously from, from home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you have a sense that they were that they were onto something special? That I mean, obviously it was a very chaotic year with Niko mm-hmm. Kovac coming in, but I guess, okay, I'll, I'll give more specifically, I guess when Hansi Flick came in, did you have a sense that this was, that they were going to go on to great success in a, in a couple months time? I mean, at the start of the season, I wouldn't have considered them in the top top four favourites. Um, the transformation from the double winning team of Niko Kovac to the treble winning team or quintuple team now um, of Hansi Flick is one of the craziest things I've ever seen in football. Um, but they did start the campaign well. I mean, the 7-2 winner um, in, in London against Tottenham was actually Niko Kovac one of his last games. Um, so they had started well, but I, I think it wasn't probably until after lockdown, Bayern were already on this, this huge run. They were building this momentum in the Bundesliga and uh, they, they played Dortmund off the park to pretty much lock that up. And I think that was when we'll have probably started to think about Bayern as being contenders for the Champions League. And obviously the format change made it a bit more of a potluck competition. In the end, the best team won, uh, there's no doubt, but the fact that it was a single header definitely made it possible for someone like Atalanta or Leipzig or or maybe even finally Atletico to, to get to get over the line and get, get the final. Um, but yeah, it's quite, it's quite amazing what a job Flick did in, in those sort of nine months. And, and in the end, they fully deserved it. But certainly there was never a point in the season where I thought, they're going to win the treble um, until obviously around May, June when they steamrolled the Bundesliga. And but it, it, you know, it, even then it wasn't a given. I remember saying to some colleagues that the, the fact that the Bundesliga had a break and the Premier League and La Liga that those leagues carried on would actually be a disadvantage to Bayern. In the end, that didn't prove to be the case because they managed to you know, flick such an intense coach. He managed to maintain those fitness levels and maintain that. The, the mental focus as well, that's just as important. And um, maybe it was the opposite, that the other teams were just too exhausted and, and mentally drained from such a long season. Yeah, and um, obviously those who may have followed Flick know he was obviously a long-time assistant for the German national team. Um, mm-hmm. But to many, he was very much a unknown name to kind of fill, I mean, it, Bayern Munich is obviously the biggest managerial job in Germany. For sure. So, having watched him for, I guess, what would have been nearly nearly a year, 
I guess, mm-hmm. cl- or close to it. Are there are there traits, or is there anything that you can kind of pick out as his style of management that like stand yeah. out? Is there anything that you can pick out? Maybe it's tactical. Maybe it's his man management. Is there anything that kind of sticks out to him as that is that's a Hansi Flick uh, side? <laughs> I mean, the, you, you've sort of said it yourself, but one of the biggest things that set Flack apart from from Kovac and from other managers is his man management. You know, when he came in, Thomas Muller was considering leaving Bayern. Um, he hadn't had a good time under Kovac. He was a bench player. He'd lost his sort of key player status. Um, there was a picture of Javi Martinez crying his eyes out on the bench after a game, before a game, because he'd been left out again by Kovac and there was, you know, without really any explanation. Um, Flick came in and basically put his arm around everyone and said, I'm, I'm, I'm your coach, I'm, I'm, I'm here for you and I'm going to help us get through this bad period. And that, when you look at the season that Thomas Muller delivered after that, it, it quite clearly worked. And, you know, Javi Martinez scored the winner in the Super Cup the other day. And he he didn't really play that much more under Kovac uh, under Flick than he did under Kovac, but you could see that he was he was happier. You know, he the mood in the club had definitely lifted, and that isn't just the human touch. That's also the, the tactical element of Flick. Um, it's definitely a more progressive manager than Kovac, who was a bit more conservative and you know didn't really approach games how you would expect Bayern to approach. Case in point being the Liverpool um, games two seasons ago on still last season. Um, the year before, a um, bit too conservative for, for for Bayern fans for the Bayern management. They didn't really like that about him. Uh, Flick came in and his attitude was: we we defend from the front. You know, this modern pressing style that we see from other managers, um, and we've seen it be successful across Europe. And he got the team really fit. You know, the pitch, the pictures that you see of of Goretzka going round, Robert Lewandowski, uh, even Coutinho put on a lot of weight. Uh, they really worked hard during the lockdown period and they were, certainly didn't slack off there. And they came back a lot fitter and stronger than everyone else. And that really helped them capitalise on, on that final straight. And they play with such an intensity that they didn't have under Kovac. So, yeah, I would say those things that he put. He's not a complicated guy. He's not come in with this revolutionary idea of playing football. Um, but yeah. focus on fitness, focus on uh, hard work and adding a human touch that was perhaps missing, uh, you know. Yeah. So it's not rocket science, but obviously it, it's a lot harder to implement than you, you would imagine because not everyone can do it. Um, that's the reality of the sport. Only one team can, can dominate like that every year, and even that doesn't happen very often. Yeah, and one of, obviously, the sticking features, I guess, when watching them in Lisbon in particular was the high back line that they play. Um, now that obviously, and they're not the only ones who have been caught out with it this season. We've seen obviously Liverpool, even even last night, the German national team against Switzerland were heavily caught out by it. Um, it not to say, I mean, obviously they are a very good team, but was, are you surprised that maybe certain, maybe some teams in the Bundesliga and potentially, you know, we'll talk about their Champions League group in a bit, but maybe teams will be able to catch them out from that, and do you do you ever see them changing that method, or is that a Hansi Flick staple that do you, you think will just remain throughout? The well, season? I mean, it's definitely a weakness, uh, and it's definitely something that was heavily exposed against Hoffenheim. Um, it's not the first time it's they've been caught out, 
but they've got Manuel Neuer in goal and they've yeah. got Alfonso Davies at left back and they've got David Alaba in the middle um, who have both got the pace to get back. And, and if you look back to the games in Lisbon, there were moments at, at 0-0 or 1-1 where the where Leon broke through 1-1, uh, where Barcelona had an opportunity um, and Neuer, Neuer saved them or, or Davies got back and, you know, even even at Chelsea, he did that. Davies um, against Haaland, he did it. Um, so, yeah, definitely. And with players like Boateng, who is as good as he is and as good as it's been to see him still fighting for a place in the team, he doesn't have the pace anymore. It does seem to be like a a high-risk strategy, but, you know, it, it worked. It paid off last season. I think now that it's been exposed as, as heavily as it was against Hoffenheim, you will definitely see some some teams do it. But the, the, the attitude at Bayern is we can score five or six. So if, if, if they concede one goal, they'll go and score three or four. Every now and then it might lead to a situation like Hoffenheim where all of the goals that all the shots that Hoffenheim have go in and at the other end it's just not working. Lewandowski just is having one of those days. Uh, Gnabry and Müller are struggling and it, it will happen. Um, I think the biggest the biggest issue will be for them this year is maintaining the intensity, the the, the high level of um, their press uh, with so many games. I think they've got 25 games or something before Christmas, which is an, an intense schedule. Um, they they signed a lot of players on deadline day. You know, Chupa Moting, yeah. everyone's sort of laughing at that signing. It's it's not terrible if if it gives if it gives Lewandowski a break every now and then something that he's not really had. Uh, there was a stat that went round recently. Lewandowski didn't start a Bundesliga game for the first time in over two years, um, which is crazy. When 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 he's your best player, and you need to protect him because he's on the wrong side of thirty and he won't be able to sustain that level forever. So having someone like Chupa Moting, he'll be happy to sit on the bench and, and, and get his moments when he can, be part of a winning team, is a good signing. Um, Saar is a good option at right back as a, as a backup for, for Pavard. This, it allows Flick to keep Kimmich in the midfield, is where, which is where he wants Kimmich to play and where he sees Kimmich as his best position. Um, so I do, I do think adding those those depth players is really going to help Bayern because fitness, for me, it will be their biggest, for every team, it's going to be the biggest challenge this season. Yeah, um, I mean, you, it is certainly going to be a unique season for all teams, I guess, in terms of preparation as well. And Bayern are no different. Um, uh, I mean, there were a couple of things you touched upon. I mean, obviously, Lewandowski, does he still amaze you? Just out of curiosity, does he still, does he continue to kind of surprise and amaze you at his quality? Yeah, I mean, he's, I've been saying for years that he's he doesn't get the recognition he deserves. And obviously, I'm... I watch him every week, so I see what he does. I see that the the, the goals he scores, that his work rate. Uh, I've also seen a change in his style over the last couple of years. There used to be a time where he would he would throw a hissy fit if he didn't score, where he would maybe make a jerk Robin, who maybe decided to shoot instead of passing to him. Um, he's become much more of a team player now. Like he takes just as much pleasure from creating goals. We saw the goal against. Um, I think it was in the the Super Cup, the Goretzka goal where he, he's yeah. played it back on the turn and, and, and then there was the other one with the Rabona for Muller. Like he's become much more of a team player. It's not all about scoring goals. Um and, and just the sheer numbers that he's delivering is, you know, when when Messi and Ronaldo were doing that, we were talking about best players of all time. Like Lewandowski is definitely going to go down as one of the, the best centre fours the game's ever seen. And 
unfortunately he won't get near Gerd Muller's record, but he'll he'll go as far as anyone else has and um definitely one of the Bundesliga's best in my in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. And um Obviously, we mentioned the transfer business they brought in, and obviously that was to address squad depth. Obviously, there were players who obviously left Bayern as well, and very good players as well. I mean, the big one being Thiago, um, who who left on his accord, if you like. I guess his yeah. his yeah. reasons to seek a new challenge. Um, what I mean, obviously they've signed Mark Rocker, I guess, to replace him in that role. Mm-hmm. But what mm-hmm. impact did he have on Bayern, and you know what? I mean, what, is it, what does he leave behind, I guess? What does he take? What kind of skills does he take away with him that Bayern then felt they had to solve with the Rocker signing? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, Thiago, in my view, is, is irreplaceable. He's, he's on his day when he's fit. He's in the top three midfielders in the world. And Bayern were lucky to have him through pretty much his peak. Um, he's definitely still got a few years left in him. Um, I don't buy into the whole injury over the hill argument. I think Thiago is going to be a great signing for Liverpool. And in some ways, the, the qualities that he had, his, his, the way he can pick a pass so quickly, he's, 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 the way he reads the game, and he, he makes things happen at a much quicker rate than, than Kimmich or Goretzka will do. Um, the flip side of that is that Bayern won the treble playing with Kimmich and Goretzka. Um, Thiago yeah. missed a lot of the season, and, and they, they made it work. With Muller in front of them, um, the three work very well. Um, he's also a personality, you know. Like the, the last eight eight years have been sort of they've had this Spanish core in the team, and that's slowly sort of that's slowly moved on now. Martinez ended up staying. Um, he was he was going to leave, but they ended up keeping hold of him. So they've still got Martinez there, and he, he'll be a, a good figure for Rocco to look up to and, and to help sort of settle into Munich. Um, Let's see. I don't think I don't think anyone's expecting Rocco to come in and, and replace Thiago immediately. Sure. But certainly from what I've heard, the sort of player he is, um, Xavi Alonso has sort of been named as a as a player that he sort of plays similarly to, and yeah. he had a pretty good time here in Munich as well. So uh, let's see. I think for now, Flick and so Kimmich and Goretzka are the, the main two, and that's yeah. Flick likes those players. He likes his German core and. They, they do work well together. They're best mates off the pitch. And with Muller in front, I think that's a, a good midfield. And let's see how many games Rocco can get, um, you know, as a, as a rotation option until maybe next season where he can get more games. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it, he is, he, he, it was obviously a very low price tag, but he's kind of one of those players that statistically he does very well. It, it certainly did at La Liga, so it'll be very interesting to see what he does. Obviously, we'll talk about. I've got the yeah, I've got the groups kind of up, and obviously Bayern in Group A with uh, RB Salzburg, who I do have a question about in a bit. But um, it's a what were you? What was your reaction to seeing that group? Because on paper, certainly Atletico is a tough one. A trip to Rush, Moscow is never really ideal, and um, and obviously RB Salzburg are very exciting team as Liverpool found out last year. So what did you make of this group, Group A, um, and Bayern, and maybe even Bayern's chances of defending their title? Okay, so, I mean, from Salzburg's group, from a Salzburg perspective, I, the, the day before the draw, I was in Salzburg and I was okay. talking to Jesse Marsh after the game and I said to him, what are you hoping for? And he said, we want the easiest draw possible. 
because obviously they want a chance of getting through. Um, you could argue that's one of the hardest draws they could have got. Um, just yeah. as last year, they got the reigning champions. They had Liverpool last year. Um, Atletico also a very, very difficult side. Uh, will be a good test for Salzburg's, uh, you know, attacking philosophy that they, they, they're very proud of, that they like to, to go for games. Um, it will be good to see Jesse Marsh try and out, you know, tactically uh, outdo Simeone. It's going to be a fascinating tie. Um, Lock Moscow, um, a bit of an unknown um, team. I think Salzburg will be looking at that, thinking right, we should be at least aiming for third third place um, and, and try and get the Europa League spot. Uh, but as you said, a trip to, to Russia, especially in, in winter, is, is never easy. Bayern, Bayern found that out a few years ago when they went to Rostov and they lost 1-0. Um, I think they were qualified at that point, but still, uh, it's, it's, it's not an easy place to go to. From Bayern's perspective, I think, uh, you know, they'll, they'll look at the Atletico tie and say it's difficult. Uh, they've played them a couple of times in recent years. They've come up against Simeone. Uh, they lost in the semis in 2016. And I think the year after, they beat them in the group and came top of the group. But when, you know, as the reigning champions, you will back yourself to, to, uh, to, to get out the group and, and defend your title. I think the Salzburg game is very interesting, especially as we were talking about the, the high line. Like Salzburg will, like to, will look to exploit that. Uh, they've yeah. got a lot of pace uh, in attack and they're, they're a team that likes to sit back and, and break quickly. And that could be something that will hurt Salzburg. Uh, sorry, that will hurt Bayern. On the flip side, they can be a little bit too um, naive defensively. So we might see quite a high scoring couple of games there because Bayern, you know, as we've already touched on, are very dangerous in front of goal. And if you give Gnabry, Lewandowski, Muller, Sane uh, and co the time and space, then they will they will punish you. And yeah, so I think it's a fascinating get group. I, I do think Bayern and Atletico will go through. And in terms of who's going to win the tournament, um, it's very hard. It's very hard to say. Obviously, on paper, Bayern are the favourites. Uh, but this crazy season that we've got ahead of us, that we've got all the fixtures that are going to need to be played, I do think it will come down to who can manage that schedule best. Uh, Liverpool and Man City will be up there again. Uh, I think Liverpool being out of the League Cup will help them already because that's one less competition to worry about. And they'll want to do better than they did last year going out to Atletico. And Barcelona, Real Madrid perhaps aren't quite as uh, hotly tipped as, as they would be in previous years, but you never know with those two. And obviously PSG, they got a taste for the, the final last year and it might, may well be Mbappe and Neymar's last season. So they'll also want to try and, and, and go one better. I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't like to, to pick a team, I would say. It's, it's very open and that makes it quite exciting, yeah. I think. Yeah, it does feel kind of wide open. Like there's multiple contenders you could definitely put in the in the hat for, to win the tournament. Um, I, I mean, we, we mentioned Salzburg, and I did want to ask you because obviously, as you as you touched on Jesse Marsh, uh, American coach who's done extremely well since taking over from Marco Rosa, Rosa and um, obviously some very exciting talent there. I mean, for those who don't kind of watch RB Salzburg that often, mm -hmm. what is the attraction, I guess, to watching them on a more regular basis? Like, what is it that kind of excites people as they do as they do many? fans across across the continent mm -hmm. i mean they do play a very exciting attacking brand of football and I'd, i understand that perhaps the austrian bundesliga might not be the 
for everyone's taste and it's it's a very one-sided league and last year they 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 were pushed until lockdown by Lask who who eventually fell away but Salzburg's monopoly on on the Austrian Bundesliga makes that perhaps not the the favorite league to watch but if you look at the way they played in the Champions League last season and they had great players like Haaland who made his breakthrough in the, in the 6-6-1 or 6-6-2 against Genk in the first game Minamino who ended up at Liverpool Huang who's now at Leipzig they had these really great fast explosive players who no one had really heard of no one really knew about um but they they came onto the Champions League and they just had this this fearless approach to 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 the competition you know it's the first time that they played um as this new club and they scored goals i think they were one of the highest scores in the group stage so that for, for anyone who likes watching football that's that's an immediate attraction and uh, the game at Liverpool that finished four three to Liverpool, they came back from from three 0 down, um, nearly got a point, but then and then conceded. And this is why I touched on the maybe a little bit of naivety that when they get back into that position of being on taking a draw home from Anfield, they they other teams might close shop. They went for the winner. They went for it because they had this momentum. You know, Harland had scored the equaliser. It was an incredible moment. We've seen that viral video of Jesse Marsh giving his halftime team talk as well. Um, I don't think we'll see anything different from them this year. I think they'll definitely try and do better, and I think they'll definitely try and learn from that experience. But the fearlessness that they approach this this competition with is is definitely something that I think makes them exciting. A, a bit, if you like, like Atalanta. Yeah. Um, who also were great to watch last season and, and should be again this season. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and um, I guess it's 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 hard to pick one player. I guess from each from Bayern and Salzburg to keep an eye out on, but that's sort of the question I was going to ask you. I'll, I'll, I'll give you some time. I guess obviously we know about Bayern. Bayern are a weird mix in, in a way in that they are both they have bags of experience, mostly bags of young talent also coming through, and they've been able to kind of marry up that approach. I think mm-hmm. few teams are able to do that, and they're certainly one of them. And obviously, Salzburg have a lot of it, young, exciting talent, and that's kind of what they've built their reputation on. So um, if you had to, and I know picking one is from each team, is, it's, it's, a, it's a challenge, mm-hmm. but if you had to pick a youngster on either side to kind of keep an eye out on who could probably make a breakout, have a breakout campaign this season, um, who would they be? I think, well, from a Salzburg perspective, the the one that everyone will be watching is Dominic Tobislai. Um, yeah. He scored that free kick. For, he scored a great free kick for Hungary in the, in September in the Nations League. Um, almost Beckham-esque, 30, for 30 yards out, and he bent it round the wall into the the, the the right right-hand side. And he's definitely become their main talisman now. You know, they lost a lot of players last year. He's the one that steps up and, and delivers in the big moments. He scored two penalties in their in their qualifier against Maccabi Tel Aviv, and uh, he was linked with a move to Bayern in the summer. So definitely in this group, it will be a, a player to watch. Uh, from Bayern's perspective, uh, you, you mean a, a, like a youngster, up and coming player? Yeah, I guess. I mean, obviously, for those who follow Bayern like you and I do as well, in my spare time, there's a lot of. Um, 17 to 20 year olds kind of on the cusp of making a mm-hmm. first team breakthrough and i guess yeah that's just right name in that kind of in that kind of range if you like well i mean josh joshua xerxes made a made a breakthrough last year and actually was quite pivotal to buy him winning the bundesliga he won them a lot of points um with some crazy last minute goals uh, at the end of november december last year uh, 
remains to be seen how much game time he'll actually get now that they've signed um, Shippo Moting. It, that, sort of, that signing maybe sort of signaled that he might not play as much. <coughs> he was maybe linked to, with a loan on, on deadline day. They also have Jamal Muziela, who is uh, England under-17 international, born in Germany. He's, he sort of has the option to play for either country. Uh, he's been involved in the first team through through preseason, and, and he's been in some of the matchday squads. Scored his first Bundesliga goal uh, a few weeks back. And Chris Richards is another one uh, who's sort yeah. of on the brink. So I think those are the three names that people will want to be looking out for. And uh, but I would I wouldn't be sure that they would play so much in the Champions League. Maybe maybe against Moscow, but certainly not uh, against Atletico. Injury dependent, you know, because they've the first 15 players in, in the buying team are all very strong. Um, yeah. They've got so much quality. And traditionally, I think that they tend not to use the youngsters unless they, they need to, if, you know, or if they have a, a, a dead rubber where they can rest some players. Yeah. No, it, it does say a lot that they, you know, kept those three and didn't opt to send them out on loan because I'm sure there'd have been a lot of suitors for... They, they, they couldn't really trigger. afford to. Uh, the, the last day of the season, it, it, it's not very like buying as well to go and sign four players on deadline day. That's yeah. a very unbuying thing to do. Um, but I think this year, and uh, Hassan Salahamazic said it the other day, the sporting director, that this year with this schedule, it was it was a necessity to have <coughs> to bolster the squad and to, to, to bring in reinforcements because there's going to be so much football. And that means that we will see these youngsters. We're going to see these young guys play. Uh, how Flick chooses to do that rotation and how he chooses to um, to do that, we'll see. But he doesn't like to rotate. That's not something that he did a lot of after lockdown. He's, he's, he very much had his starting 11 and became very easy to predict what, what Bayern team would be playing. This year sort of is a very different circumstance because of the heavy fixture list. Yeah, it's... Um... It's, it's it's again as we said it's a unique season and certainly games will be piling up and obviously international break you don't know who mm-hmm. which players might come back with covid which ones might not and so yeah i can imagine it is chaos in terms of that sense um obviously we're kind of coming to close to the end so i guess i do have one final question and it will kind of bring it all full circle but um i mean there's obviously you know we have people on our team who are looking to break into sports journalism myself included for sure um is there anything you would recommend or any advice you'd have for for, for people like us trying to also get into that industry um maybe based on i don't know your experiences or is there anything that you would then recommend to people i mean as as you're aware i'm sure your colleagues and your your friends are aware it's it's a really competitive industry um it's one of the things that made it very difficult for me when I was a child to contemplate is how hard it is to break into it. Um, it's yeah. Millions of kids grow up wanting to do this job. And the good thing about the digital age with social media, with um, different types of media that are, you know, this, this, this being one of them, you know, this live Facebook interview is not something that you would have heard of 10, 15 years ago, but this does create new opportunities. So, I would say <coughs> be open um, to trying different things. Um, don't think that the traditional route is the only route. I definitely yeah. didn't take the traditional route. I didn't go to journalism school. Um, I didn't, didn't have a formal education in that sense. Um, 
in practical sense, I would recommend learning a language. Uh, I think if you look at some of the top journalists uh, in Europe, and I hope to be there one day, I wouldn't put myself in that anywhere near that bracket, but I, I'm fortunate that I do have a second language, and that definitely opens up doors because the, what I do now to break into that, the, the opportunity I had in Munich, I don't think I would have had in the UK without having to work for free for, for 12, 18 months, which is not something that I was able to do financially. So having a language does open up more doors. It does open up different countries and opportunities. And if you can specialize in a different, <coughs> excuse me, specialize in a different league that isn't necessarily the Premier League or something mainstream, then you're also going to create opportunities for yourself. So try and do, try and do something different. Try and, try and be a, a unique proposition rather than someone who maybe is just looking to work for the Guardian and, and write on the Premier League about Man United or, you know, not that doing that is a bad thing. No, 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 I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've certainly that's also. I mean, it's similar to things I've heard for sure. So it's yeah, that that all certainly rings true. Um, that we're coming up, that will kind of do it for us. Um, so my thanks for to you for coming on. Um, thanks for having me. Yeah, we've put your Twitter and this kind of ticker thing. So I guess if people want to follow you, follow your work, I guess they can just follow that. Am I right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll be on duty this evening for Austria against Romania in uh, the Nations League. So that Romania, Romania beat them 3-2 in Vienna. So the, the Austrians are out for revenge tonight. And it will be a first trip to um, Romania before the Euros next year. So it's going to be an exciting game for them. And they've yeah. got some young players. Romania are very good, actually. They play quite a nice um, game last time. <coughs> but they are struggling a little bit after l losing their playoff last week. Yeah, both sides have got some talented youngsters on their, on their side. So that's, an, that's a really... Uh, Austria, if, if people are, Austria, no, I was going to say, if people are struggling to find a game. Yeah, if people are struggling yeah. to find a game, they should definitely watch that one. It will be more exciting than England. <laughs> I yeah I don't I don't have a strong attachment to England so I I echo those sentiments. Um, so yeah, as I said, thank you so much for Jordan for coming on. Um, hopefully over the course of the term, we'll bring together some interviews with people either from the sports journalism industry, from sports societies in Warwick. That's the goal. So hopefully we can do that. Uh, and yeah, we'll be back with the quarantine stream, talking I guess previewing the next round of club football on um, Saturday. So. Thank you to everyone who's watching and uh, we'll see you in a bit.